The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Episodes may contain adult language. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connected, the podcast from Side Street Studio Arts, where we talk with members of the arts community. I am Erin Rayberg, one of the founders and executive directors of Side Street Studio Arts. And today I have a couple of familiar connected voices here talking about something that we've never talked about before. So welcome, Risa Jones and Amanda Harris, back to the Connected podcast. Thank you for having (laughs) us back. Uh, This is just the first part of what will now be at least a two-part series as we try to explore um, what has come to be the Elgin Social Justice Collective and folks working in and with um, that group of people who are working on a project called Making Space that consists of a mural, a documentary, a Juneteenth partnership, and a scholarship program all in response to last summer, summer of 2020's resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, both locally and nationally. Um, So a lot to talk about and a lot that this group is taking on. And and we're just trying to understand more about what this project is and who's involved and how it's going. Um, So hi, hi, you two, welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Risa, tell us, uh, for those who forgot, since the pod, the last podcast we they need did to go back. years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Everyone pause, go back to one of the first episodes, learn who Risa is, and then, then back. come back. Risa, who are you? What are you doing here? And how are you involved <laughs> in this project? My name is Risa Jones. I am a lifelong resident of Elgin, Illinois, born and raised. What? Uh, what? Proud product of District U46, Hillcrest, Kimball Larkin. Uh, I love Elgin. Uh, it's a complicated relationship, uh, it, but I just love, you know, all the things that our city can do and what's in the future for us. I'm co-founder and executive director of Hamilton Wings. We promote learning and leadership through the arts, but I'm involved in other fabulous, wonderful things with our library and elevate e- elevating equity and so many other great things. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Amanda, who are you? What are you doing? I mean, who knows, right? That's a big uh, question. <laughs> uh, Amanda Harris, I am the assistant to the city manager uh, for special projects in the arts, which is a roundabout way of saying I do the arts things for the city and pretty much anything else that lands on my desk. Um, it's fun. It's great. I actually really enjoy it. Um, I am the managing director of the Elgin Fringe Festival. I'm the co-artistic director of the Going Dutch Festival. I am an artist. I am a wife. I am a mom. I am a daughter. I am a human. (laughs) Um, I'm a transplant from the South and I've been in Elgin for almost eight years. Sounds right. Yeah, eight years. Wow. We'll let you know when you're you're an official Elgenite. We'll let you know. Great, great. <laughs> um, so it feels almost way oversimplified to say that the beginning of this project started with 
businesses and property owners choosing to board up their windows in downtown Elgin preemptively um, before what we assumed were Black Lives Matter protests coming to the streets of Elgin around the Elgin Police Department. But that's where we're going to start this conversation, right? It is, is obviously in response to years and years of systemic racism and murders, right? And I'm not trying to minimize any of that, but in order to focus on this project, um, I want to talk about uh, something I had firsthand experience with, which was driving through the downtown of my hometown in Elgin to my organization in downtown Elgin and seeing so many windows boarded up um, and not knowing what to do with that information, feeling some sort of the easiest word was disappointment, um, ranging from disappointment to shock to anger, um, to question marks of a property owner can can do that if they want to. They have businesses to protect, um, but protect from what became my next question. And uh, for full transparency, Side Street Studio Arts worked with our landlords and, and decided to ask to not board up. Um, we just felt that it showed a lack of trust for our community and in a roundabout or maybe a very direct way, a lack of trust of people of color in our community. And that is just one small way to look at it. Um, and there are so many ways to look at it. Now, because these windows were board, boarded up, a number of community members came together and created art on these boards. So much of which was just beautiful and breathtaking and celebratory and honoring. Um, and so I still live with that idea of, I don't think these windows should have been boarded up in the first place, but man, the work that came out of it was really beautiful and is leading to conversations and projects like this. Um, also, should we be putting beauty on top of this, for me, ugly thing, right? So just like all of these conversations, really complex, um, difficult. Uh, are there solutions? Are there right answers? We don't know um, questions. And so Risa, I want to start with you. I know this was during, you know, lockdown pandemic times, um, but maybe images you saw or thoughts of boarding up. How did you feel about seeing your hometown first plan to protest and take to the streets and secondly board up uh in response to that notion yeah first of all i'm so appreciative for all the people that did come out and were supportive of black lives matter i was not among them because i was like am i in that age group am i in the racial demographic group do i have the core morbidities that are associated with um that and i had you know several people in my life affected by um, COVID-19. So yeah, I was not there, but I'm so appreciative of all the people, especially the young people that came out and showed their, their um, indignation at the um, injustices that were being, that continue to be perpetrated against um, black bodies, black and brown bodies. And, um, and, you know, as I was, I, I'm active in our city and I was on a Zoom call at, right uh, 
not too long after the murder of George Floyd. And, um, you know, there was so much conversation about riot and boarding. And this was supposed to be an educationally directed um, committee. And I would, and the people having that conversation were um, white and it was so hurtful. I couldn't even, I couldn't even, cause I was already grieving this thing that um, I was grieving because it was also being recognized on a national level. Like it was almost like that grief that you have after you're validated, mm-hmm. but, um, but grieving even the conversations that we're having, especially thinking about our young people and what messages they're receiving um, in the process. But to get to the idea about what you're talking about, you know, art, is it, is it good there? Or is it bad there? Um, you know, or just leaving it to the idea that yes, and both and, and knowing that art can provoke and challenge and stimulate and anger and all the great things that art can do. Um, and uh, knowing that just being so inspired personally by the artists who came out to to do all of those things, to make beautiful, to, to point out injustice. And even in the conversations, which we'll talk about later, I've been drawing on artists like Sanford Biggers or Titus Kaffer, who look and say, can art in its truth-telling role be supportive of having difficult conversations and moving communities forward? So I know that's a blob of an answer to say, I'm so appreciative of um, the young people who came out. Another thing I'm appreciative is this legacy that we have in Elgin of people before it was popular getting out there and talking about um, issues of race um, and community and activism like Joyce Fountain and Joanna Menta and Mary Camacho and Magic at ECC and the Human Relations Committee Commission and um, there's so many. Oh, Bonnie Mays, Ernie Brodnax. I'm afraid if now that I'm saying all these names, I'm going to leave someone out. So I did leave some, Tracy O'Neill Ellis. So many that had the difficult um, conversations before it was popular. So I'm just saying all that to say they laid the groundwork so that even this project could be possible. Risa, to that point that there is a long in-depth history of social justice conversations, uh, naming racism and having conversations around that in Elgin. Um, and you you mentioned all those names, right? That are, are shoulders that young protesters are, are standing on. Um, how do you, or did you, or are you placing that, this ongoing moment with those decades and years um, of, activism leading up to it. Yeah, I'm only taking initial steps and as a part of the conversations, also um, building in a conversation cohort that I hope will do the same. But the way we're organizing the conversations is having groups of artists, activists, and community organizations come together, but self-identify as emerging or established so that they can have their own conversations about their experiences, but also have cross conversations about where they can learn from each other, where they can challenge from um, each other and support each other and getting better, which means that we all can become better. But there's so much knowledge. Um, if we're going to be binary, you know, like mm-hmm. in, into two groups, there's so much to be learned. And 
and that can propel us forward. Yeah. And there's such a long tradition of that, that building on previous knowledge, but letting the young people be the leaders in the world history, global history, so that we can really um, move from that, learn those lessons. Don't, don't overlook those lessons in bringing that to Elgin. I love that idea and maybe motivation of self-identifying of where you are in your journey of activism. I feel it's pretty similar in the arts. You know, sometimes it takes a long time to be able to call yourself an artist. It takes a long time to be able to call yourself an activist. It can be a word that just is riddled with connotation. It could push people away. It can pull people in. Um, but being in the same room of people who are saying, I've been an activist for this long, or I'm thinking about becoming an activist, um, feels real, real beautiful to me. Yeah. And we have so many examples that we're pulling into the conversations. I mean, obviously, like the TED talk, I owe, you know, a debt of gratitude for the conversations for all that. But, you know, there's all these things about bringing introversion into the activist world and understanding that there is a place for everyone. If you have a, something you care about, and you're just trying to find your way, there's a place for everyone. I, I've been attending a lot of theater of war productions um, that, for example, they take Greek tragedies and put them into modern settings. So they've taken Antigone and they say in Ferguson. And so they do a lot with bringing theater that you would think is old, but has such a relevant um, uh, import. And they um, invite people who have, um, in the post-show discussion to talk about their experiences in when their family members were lost at the hands of police fire and then being able to have those conversations. But one thing that really struck me was one of the activists in Ferguson said she was out and about and doing all these things and realizing I'm not this person. But what she could offer was low, free or low reduced counseling services, because that was her field, to frontline protesters. So it's about everyone finding a place, knowing that everyone is required. That is so important to say and keep saying and say tomorrow, <laughs> have people hear out loud. There are so many ways to be involved that will still be healthy for you um, and you can make a difference. Um, thank you for that. Amanda, when these boards were going up. I know you knew it was happening. I know you knew the art was happening. Um, but once they were up and there was some sort of community response, how did the idea for what would become making space take hold? And um, and what's a little bit of the timeline timeline there and how that all happened? Well, it started off with a bang and then it was a slow crawl for a long time and then you know bang again as these things often do so the the boards went up right and there were all of these um conversations happening amongst business owners and property owners and, and people and that sort of thing and then pretty much right away the art went up on the boards it happened almost overnight it was shockingly fast um, I actually tried to get into a position where we could sponsor some art supplies. And by the time I had everything figured out, which was just a couple hours, they were like, oh, yeah, we're done. It's like, oh, okay, cool. I'll just go over here then. And, uh, it's a great problem, right? But the, the, the protest continued. The board stayed up for some time. And 
two of the, the, the two founding members of what became the Elgin Social Justice Collective, uh, Corey Dixon and Paige Rober, were like, this is important and interesting and we need to save these boards, but we don't really know what for yet. And so they had, when they came down, they took them, they stored them and started bringing different people to the table to talk about what this looked like. Um, which is how I got involved a few, you know, few weeks, maybe even a few months later. It's kind of blurry, um, as most things are during the time of COVID. Um, and, you know, originally this project was going to be a kind of a pop-up exhibit where we were going to reassemble the boards, maybe in a park, uh, maybe in downtown in, a, in, a, in an event venue. But again, it was during COVID, right? So things just didn't seem feasible with the restrictions that were in place, um, putting the boards up outside in an unstructured location proved feasibly difficult. Um, just nails into the boards, how do we stand them up kind of a thing. Um, and so many, many conversations and figuring out, you know, what do those boards mean? What are we trying to do here? Are we trying to honor what those boards represented to the people who interacted with them and are we trying to or or are we trying to document this summer of 2020 are we trying to start a conversation what is our our goal why are we why are we sitting here um and and kind of from all of that conversation and the people at the table um at the time we you know, the, the pocket park location came up, which is um, historically important for Elgin. Um, and realizing that, you know, as Risa was talking about, that the history of Elgin is so deep and so varied with the abolitionist movement that, that happened here and how and why people came to Elgin and, and being aware of this intergenerational um, frankly, an intergenerational gap that exists a lot of times um, and how the, 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 the communication between those different generations can be stunted. Um, we kind of landed on this project where we would create a permanent mural um, in this historically significant location that is widely and freely accessible. Um, and that mural would be based on those board ups and that alone would be its own conversation because it has to be. Um, and that the we would create a, a documentary. And the documentary from the very beginning, it has been really very clear to all of us that that's the frame for this project. It, it not only brings the people to the table who were there this summer, that last summer, it also brings people who have been working in this type of activism, in this type of art, in this community for decades. And it brings people to the table too, who have differing views, right? Like, like we're talking about not everybody boarded up. There are philosophical questions and beliefs that come into play here. And being vulnerable about those things and being in a space where you can say, I did this for this reason and someone else can disagree with you, but you can do so in a reasonable manner is important. And that documentary 
provides that space, but it also provides the frame for this mural. It's not just about the mural. It's not just about the board ups. It's not just about the, the Black Lives Matter movement. It's about how all of these pieces come together in this gray soup <laughs> that we're living in, in Elgin. And it's okay to be in this gray space. It's okay to have uncomfortable conversations. In fact, it's important to have these uncomfortable conversations because if we can't do that, then what, where, how do we move forward? What does the future even look like? I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> yes, and uh, I have three fingers up because I have three more questions, right? Each, each thing we're talking about could can and is an endless conversation in and of itself. But for those people who don't know, the area called Butcher's Alley in downtown Elgin um, for many years hosted a mural by Dave Powers that many years later um, the public came to learn um, depicted a crowd at a lynching. Am I saying that is simply, is that, yeah. Yep. Um, and once this was found out was of course a big deal and brought about conversations like that. When we say we've been talking about this stuff for years, we, public art, we have, um, and it's one one area of this project that's, you know, before these boards went up that is impacting it all as well. What is the context for art? Um, our, our policies in our city had to totally shift because this art was not put up responsibly, whether it would have been put up or not is we'll never know, but there wasn't context for it. And so whatever anyone says or thinks about it can be true or can all be true. And so a lot of policies for putting art up in general in public spaces had to be recreated and reimagined. Um, there was a call to immediately take the mural down, which of course has ripple impacts for censoring art um, in other conversations. Um, and then there's this whole other idea of what I will loosely term street art, that is also not allowed in public spaces, um, right? But is also being celebrated as part of this, right? So there is an endless weave of policy, um, responsibilities of public art by both the artists and the audience and the, the government, um, abilities to act in a moment and react in a moment and adapt and listen um, while moving quickly to respond. Just a, lo a lot of different turf that Elgin was already <laughs> already in. And, and this again, you know, pushed the button on the blender to get moving again. Um, so that, you know, if anyone wants to Google that last mural, there is plenty of information out there. And I know um, we are all still talking about it, um, but it, it this project seems like it is trying to clarify some of the stuff that does feel messy from fact standpoints uh, for a few years and this moment. 
as well as help the public to understand that there are not always clear answers and, and um, that ongoing uh, conversation and healing and debate um, is, is absolutely necessary. Um, in an attempt to oversimplify large ideals, am I headed in the right direction for making space? Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, this project, like all of these topics, um, you know, it's, it's nuanced. There are so many pieces. Our, our mural, muralist yesterday used the phrase, you know, we can tease out as many of these pieces as we want. Um, and that really struck me because every little piece we're talking about is its own kind of story. It's its own um, impact journey, you know, and it, it becomes really difficult to find that balance of getting deep enough to have that meaningful conversation, but not getting lost in the weeds. And so we're, we're working with, you all are working with a muralist who's doing community conversations to help figure out what art can best represent our community in this moment and beyond. Risa, what's your role in bringing the community into this project? So I've brought, been brought on as facilitator. Um, I have extensive experience in facilitation. I've done focus groups for years, recently trained by Illinois Humanities with some of their work and um, also with Future Search, thanks to the City of Elgin and the Sustainability Commission. But um, really looking towards, first aspect was to bring together a conversation cohort, knowing that one person cannot have all the conversations but to think of our community much like the tree of life as a tree that we have, you know, our roots, but we have all these beautiful branches. So how can we um, understand our core and that's sometimes constructed together um, and then look at each of the branches. So I've pulled together a conversation cohort who will be working with me in conducting conversations. Um, they might identify a language specific group that they want to work with, a cultural group that they want to work with, um, another identity group that they want to work with and having conversations. But I am primarily responsible for the initial nine groups. Um, the initial nine groups are the artists, um, the activists and the community organization groups. And as I described before, um, initially split by self-identified emerging or established, but also coming together, having time to come together to talk across groups, listening to see if those um, groups want to continue in their conversation or if the conversation, those initial conversations were enough for them to share what they wanted to share because I'm doing a report back on July 1st of the initial groups from which um, we're going to have our conversation cohort take it from there. And of course I'll be supportive in continuing groups as well as I'm putting together a do it yourself um, little kit because there are so many, many great materials out there on having difficult conversations. So maybe someone who's listening to your podcast would wanna have a conversation with their families, with some friends and so, we're looking forward to having them contribute to our tree and um, continuing the conversation because not one group um, is representative, uh, but we are a collective and I'm interested in hearing everything that's being shared. 
Risa, in these conversations, are we trying to change minds? Are we trying to um, talk about Black Lives Matter and including it in art and making sure our community is okay with that? You know, are we? Yeah. Are we so um, the initial conversations are really to bring people together. So it's it's about race and making that explicit. Um, it's about community and making that explicit. Um, I am not equipped to do the hard work of all the groups that I mentioned before that are doing the educational work that have been doing it for years, like I mentioned ECC and Gail Borden and the Human Relations Commission and all these other groups who have done, you know, and continue to do the hard work of educating. Um, I offer some ground rules of kindness and openness and uh, respect when they come to these groups, because I do believe it's my personal philosophy and it's the leaders that I admire. Um, and I've looked at their journeys and they're all like um, Amanda mentioned before, vulnerable somewhere in their leadership journey to be the great leaders that we have heard them to be, have been vulnerable at some time. They've taken risk at some times. They've changed their minds at times. They've gone different courses. So that's what I, I'm asking from these groups and anyone else is able to contribute. But we do, we use a process of reflective dialogue that I was introduced by the Covey group from the Illinois Humanities, which essentially taking a poem, a song, a video, something like I mentioned before, these a tremendous national artist, Clint Smith, who has a book coming out. We take his, um, his words and see how we can say what we're hearing, um, what we think it means, and then how it applies to our lives, and then continue the conversation. And what does that mean for our community? What does that mean for my role, my activism, my, my leadership? So that's kind of the rough structure of the groups, but they, they differ slightly by each of those groups but it, it's, that's the general idea. And Amanda, the conversations with the muralist, um, are those, what are those? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so our mural artist, Pablo Serrano, he is from Pilsen. He is, he's based down in Chicago. Um, and he is uh, keenly aware that he is not from Elgin. He does not live here. Um, and it was really important to him and to the collective that this mural reflect the community and the community's response to what occurred in the summer of 2020. And in order to do that, we have to engage the community and do so where they are in a safe space um, and see what happens. And so Pablo uh, felt very strongly that we had to host some um, co basically conversations. Come talk to him, tell him your story. How do you feel about what happened in the summer? How do you feel about the mural site? Why are you here in Elgin? What's your history? Um, what do you want to see there? It's kind of open to all. Um, and so we've had two, three, four now after today. <laughs> um, that are held in a variety of in-person and online things. And uh, we have, you know, this online survey too. And he's just really hoping to get feedback from the community um, so that we, we, we do end in a place where the community can see its reflection of itself there. Um, he's been to the History Museum. 
He's talked to the historical leaders. He's talked to um, the clergy. He's talked to residents and business owners, and that's just going to continue. Um, he's driven around Elgin just to see what there is to see, to have these kind of spontaneous interactions. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's going really well. People have a lot to say <laughs> as, as, as we learn. Um, but even when you just ask somebody, why are you here? What brought you to Elgin? There are so many wonderful, beautiful, unique stories in this community um, that, I mean, I've been moved to tears a few times, if I'm being really honest with you and embarrassing, uh, <laughs> because it it's so personal. This is such a small town, but it's not, you know, and um, I think he's trying to capture as much of that as possible. I find that very interesting. When I make work, whatever it is, research is a huge part of it. And that research could last two years, it could last a month, but reading and gathering and seeing and having what the art you're working on at front of mind while you drive through a town or live your life, um, I think really, I feel really integrates it um, physically out through your hands if you're making with your hands or, or however you're doing that. So I really appreciate those efforts and that time. And I also think there's probably no other way we could do something like this in this spot right now. Um, something oversimplified, whether it be lovely or not, uh, it, it, we, we need to dig a little deeper right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that it would do this project or that site uh, any kind of justice or favors if if we did try to just slap something up. You know, this past weekend we had held a mural site rededication just to, again, acknowledge that location and say, you know what, we're going to take this back and we're rededicating it to this new purpose and we want everybody to be involved. We want everybody to feel included and everybody has a, a piece of ownership here. Um, and the, the mural itself is the exact same. So The beautiful thing about public art, right? There is often with public art, layer upon layer upon layer of context that a passerby may never even know, right? And that, I mean, that's art in general, yeah. Uh, but in public art, obviously it's, it's right up there. I don't have a choice whether I'm walking by this piece or not. Um, and so, when whatever new work is up, are, are we as the public going to have some access to this, these layers of context if we are interested? Um, how will we be able to learn about this site? Yeah, that's incredibly, incredibly important. You know, because like you mentioned earlier, that context was missing previously. Um, and it's incredibly important that, you know, as, as a steward of public art, as a public servant, my job is to make sure that I remain and we remain responsible to the people that live here. Um, so that's part of my job. Now, as a personal human, <laughs> that's also part of my philosophy as well, right? Um, so there will be signage posted directly at the mural site, but there will also be um, a QR code that will take you to the documentary free of charge. So you will have more context than you know what to do with, <laughs> essentially. Um, and that will always and forever be attached to that because it's not just a mural, um, but it could also be if you just want to walk through. So 
well, you all are doing all this work. You better put all that information somewhere so, <laughs> so someone could see it. Risa, have there, I, I know the project even continues to evolve like any living, breathing project of a moment. Have there been any hurdles or, or struggles that you all have come up against as you try to move forward to have a final product or multiple products that, that we're showing? Yeah, I think sometimes it's in getting the word out in a way that it's received, you know, like that it's favorably received as an invitation um, and not as a confrontation or a challenge to anything that preceded it. Um, so really, I think um, we can make ourselves transparent and, and try to share that really we do come with open hands and our open heart, but a lot of that, of that has to be proved over time. And, you know, I, like I said, I've, I'm a lifelong resident, so I understand the importance of, of time as well. I remember starting Hamilton Wings, I would get, my mom was a beloved educator in the district and um, principal of Garfield School for over 20 years, one of the longest running principals there. And we started Hamilton Wings and I would be so frustrated, like we need to do this, 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 and this, and this. And just, you know, because I could vent to her, I'd be like, we're not doing this right. And my mom always understood that it's intergenerational. It takes time. And so, yes, we want to see immediate change. We want to see, um, under communicate the urgency, but we also want to prove ourselves in the long term and show who we are facing forward and sharing our hearts and our experiences just as we expect and want others to share their experiences and stories with us. So sometimes that requires time. Sometimes that requires trust building. So I would say sometimes those are hurdles, but they're not unexpected. So I think everyone who I've encountered involved with this program stands ready to do that even though it can feel, you know, like I'll speak for myself personally hurtful when like, why doesn't someone want to be a part of this? Don't they know me? No, they don't know me. So <laughs> what do I need to do to change the entry, the door, the, even in a COVID time, how can I open the door in new and different ways so everyone can feel welcome? Um, another question that could be a whole podcast. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you open the door so that everyone feels welcome, regardless of the color of the skin yeah. or their socioeconomic status? Or yeah, I, yeah, so like I said, a lot of it is just time and just being present as I can. I'm not going out and about. So my present is, you know, maybe setting up for a rededication and then going over to a Zoom something. But my presence will will show and how I can show it. Yeah. Um, what are what are some of the best bits, Risa? <laughs> the best bits are just having like I've had some conversations with people I've known for years and just having these conversations. I just feel so happy to know these people and their work and what they care about. And it's I mean, that's what that's the joy. And I'm like when I'm sitting around lazy I'm like I don't want to and then I look at or you know I'm getting some of these things transcribed I'm like oh, okay let's do this because the inspiration is there and we really do have a community of doers <laughs> we have a lot of doers and so um there's no reason to sit on the sideline mm -hmm. 
Amanda, you come from a really different perspective in that you are sitting in the office that that makes all the rules and how and how then how this is all going to go down and got to raise the funds and uh, get things passed through council and all that kind of thing. Aside from all those very clear hurdles that I just listed, or maybe including those, what are what are some hurdles or you know unexpected challenges that have popped up for you, if anything different from what Risa said? I mean, I definitely echo what Risa said. I love the way you put it. I actually wrote it down, so I'm learning even from this conversation. Risa's very smart and good at everything. Um, <laughs> What do I need to do to change the door or open the door in new ways so that everyone feels welcome? I mean, I think that Elgin is, uh, it, she said it, Elgin is a community of doers. And there are people who live here who feel very strong feelings and take ownership, not just of, of their piece of land or their business or, or um you know, their job, but of ideas and they want to be engaged and they want to do the work. Um, but then, you know, there are those who don't understand how much work is involved in lasting impact, like what's required. I was on a Zoom earlier today with one of the mural, with, with the mural artist and a, a young, young man joined and he is active in the Elgin community and spoke to his frustration in, in essentially burnout in the youth, um, that there is this prevailing, I don't know, sentiment that when things are hot and happening, you know, everybody comes out because it's loud. They want to be part of that volume. They want to be there. They feel it because it's everywhere. And then, as that dies down, as things do, the, the work doesn't go away, right? It's just that's when the hard, really not as loud work begins, but it takes time. It takes energy. It takes money. It takes consistency. And not everybody has that to give. And, you know, this project, it, it, it's a big project. It has a lot, of, a lot of pieces and there are a lot of people like Risa, like Pablo, like Tish and Corey and Paige and Liz and Bill and the, the people who are working so hard on it. Um, and one of the challenges I don't think I anticipated uh, is the, the amount of feelings <laughs> that, that I would encounter. And that sounds ridiculous, but people have a lot of feelings and it's not necessarily about me or the project or the collective. It's about the topic in general, or even a topic related to what making space is trying to attach, um, to, trying to um, address. It's, there are a lot of feelings and not everybody is ready to jump yet. Not everybody is in that action point yet. And that's okay. It's just difficult when you are trying to tell a story, you want there to be equity. You want um, representation of voices. You want there to be, you want it to be a true and accurate story. And I don't think I anticipated bumping my head against those feelings as much as I have, but those feelings have a place. They are absolutely in the right place. <laughs> it's just a, a challenge I didn't expect to encounter. 
all three of us come from performance backgrounds. You know, that first show you did mom and dad and cousins and your friends and their friends, and they were all there. And then show number two, it was a lot quieter because <laughs> that's how honeymoon's over. Like the next round is different. It's exciting at first, but you have to become a mainstay of people's lives to maybe see them once every 10th time even as a mainstay of people's life, right? Try, trying to find time to have a drink with a friend. You go through 20 dates, right? Even if it's someone you want to see. Um, and those are just small, trivial matters, right? If I don't want to get up in the morning, that might not be the day I want to talk about racism <laughs> for mm -hmm. a documentary, right? The, it's it, All of these things go into it. And yeah, years ago, my mom would say, like, people will give what they can give. And so part of, I think, the lesson that we could have to continue to revisit is, is appreciating that people will give what they can give, both positive and negative. And also, again, going back to the idea that everything is necessary. And so sometimes it's up to the, the role of the facilitator to support that everything is necessary. Um, I'll do, I get to do a, in my day, so I'll do it in my day. Uh, when I was involved with the divestment um, work from South Africa in, in undergraduate, you know, we'd have the time that everyone could get together was 11 p.m. meetings and we'd have the, <laughs> these long meetings. I actually got like sunglass glasses because I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have these. And then like just the confrontations, I remember crying like for people who didn't understand the issue and then trying to explain why it was so important that the university not support uh, apartheid with their dollars. And then um came the time of the big protest for the, you know, the board of trustees and everybody came out because that's the glamour, <laughs> that's the glamorous side. And I remember feeling resentful. I called my mom. I'm like, oh, I might get arrested today. My mom always used to recall that. Like what? She's calling me. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but the, the thing was, is that at some point I had to realize if they all didn't come out, then any work that we did at 11 PM would not mean anything. So those people were necessary. People at 11 p.m. were necessary. The people who had done all the research, research to help change my heart and understanding were necessary. So, um, you know, getting a, a grasp of that idea has even informed my work today about the, um, the, the requirement of all in this effort and not having that judgmental lens like, where were you? And where were, we're here now. I'm giving what I can give now. Yeah, I need I need you to tell me that more often once in a while. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel on both it's sides a hard of that. One. Right? <laughs> I'm I'm giving what I can. I should give more. And also, can't you give me more? Right. I mean, compassion and and trust. This is all part of it as well. Um, Juneteenth is coming up, and Elgin, you know, has a COVID altered celebration coming up, but um, making space is, is a bit in partnership with Juneteenth. How is that partnership going to play out this year or, or maybe in the future? Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, the, the original plan <laughs> as these things go was to unveil the new mural on June 19th. Um, but 
you know, we wanted there to be more time for Pablo to get to know Elgin and speak to people. So instead, that's that's scheduled for the first community paint day. Um, so the the folks in the community can come out. He will have the mural kind of laid out and it'll be a paint by number situation. And so there again, a very tangible taking back of the space and people, you know, buying into this, um, to this mural. Um, in, we also have uh, art cubes. So just to bring it back around to those board ups, uh, they're their own kind of conversation piece. Um, but one thing that was very clear as, uh, as an artist is that people saw those as a platform for the good, for the bad, where they were, whatever. The, the reality is if you just look at that, those boards served as a platform for people. Um, for some people, I should say. Others saw them as like, sit down and be quiet. Um, but, but a lot of artists saw those as a platform. And so we wanted to continue that, um, at that uh, opportunity. So we created what I call art cubes. We have three of these. They're essentially like four by four white squares. Um, one is over at ECC, one is at Wing Park, and one is at Butcher's Alley. Um, and we invite people to come down and engage with those art cubes in the same way that they did with those board ups. Um, you know, whether that's to convey your feelings about what happened with the murder of George Floyd here in the protests of summer in 2020, or what happened to you on this random Tuesday, right? This is a, a, a an outlet for you to express yourself in a kind of a spontaneous and artistic way. Um, so these will be out for about three weeks. We'll document them, we'll take them down. We may love them, we may keep them, we may paint them white or, you know, I don't know yet, but um, they will go out every year before Juneteenth to kind of continue this artistic outlet um, platform and hopefully be used by people uh, to do exactly that. And I know the documentary is in process. What is our goal for our red carpet premiere of the documentary? Um, got that full glamour, full glam. <laughs> All my glam squad. Um, we don't have a a date yet. Um, we're still filming. We've wrapped interviews. We think we're kind of waiting to see. We may throw one more interview day on there, depending on. Um, some of the grants we're waiting to hear back because, you know, money's a thing. Um, but the, the documentary should be available this fall, early winter. Um, and we'll figure that out when we get there. Um, I can tell you that we are aiming for a 30-minute documentary so that this will be widely available to all of the area schools. Um, and we're going to offer that to them along with a talkback session with the Social Justice Collective um, and, and any of the people who participated, if that's Risa or Pablo or the documentary creative director, um, Nicholas or you know myself, whom, whomever is available um, to be as transparent as possible and to show, especially the youth, right? We've talked a lot about this intergenerational gap um, that what long lasting impact can look like. Um, and yeah, so it'll be available for them. We'll have copies at the Elgin History Museum. It'll be on YouTube. Um, I'll lay it from a corner somewhere, <laughs> who knows? Amanda, you said money is a thing and that's a fact. 
Um, <laughs> is all of the money for making space coming from the city of Elgin? No, 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 not at all. Um, the city of Elgin, the Cultural Arts Commission and the Human Relations Commission both sponsored this project, um, but it's well less than half of the project. Uh, not even close to half of the project is sponsored by those commissions. Um, we have been the lucky recipients of an Illinois Department of Public Health Healing Illinois grant through the Community Trust um, and an Artworks Think grant also through the Community Trust, uh, Chicago Community Trust. Um, we have local businesses and organizations that have sponsored us. That's the DNA, uh, the Elgin Area Chamber, Funky Rooster Tattoo and Art Gallery and Side Street Studio Arts. Um, and we also just received the approval to um, apply for an Illinois uh, humanities grant. So hopefully we'll, we'll do that. And we're waiting to hear back from a few more, but yeah, this is a, um, a grassroots funded as, as much as one is a project of this scale. You know, our budget's $45,000, which is huge when you talk about year one of a project. Um, but the important thing to note about this project is that money is going to the people who are bringing the skills to the table. That's the documentary crew. That's the cohort conversation leaders. That's the um, the, the the mural artists. That's the the marketing. That kind of thing. The the social justice collective as a whole is not keeping a dime. Um, Thank you very much for your time today, you two. We are going to talk to more later in the week. I'm going to talk to Councilman Corey Dixon and another committee member, Paige Rober, about their roles um, in, in this whole shebang. But um, I appreciate both of your time and all of the advice and information and philosophy and 10 more things I wrote down to research and be frustrated by and, and all of that. Um, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Risa. And thank you, Amanda. We so appreciate you, Erin. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. All right, after a short break, we are diving back into Connected with the second half of our podcast uh, featuring another pair from the Elgin Social Social Justice Collective, Councilman Corey Dixon and Paige Rober. Hi, you two. Thanks for being here. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Corey, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and telling us what you do and how you're involved in the Elgin Social Justice Collective and Making Space Project. Oh man, uh, that's a that's a big question. In, like, right. 30 seconds. In like thirty <laughs> seconds. Uh, so lifelong member, uh, member, lifelong resident here of, of Elgin, born and raised. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Um, I am a city councilman. I'm on my second term. Thank you, God. Uh, and uh, I'm a part of this uh, the Making Space project. Uh, I'm a co-founder of it along with Paige Rober. Uh, we are, were two people who noticed the art going up downtown and said, hmm, it'd be cool if we did something with that. And from that idea, things just have exploded beyond, you know, our wildest imagination with the help of a lot of other good people who are better at things than, than we are. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we find ourselves here at this point where we are, uh, you know, we have embarked on a, a great, courageous project that we hope to continue going, uh, you know, continue happening uh, in the future. So 
Yeah. Corey, I always love that you say that. You said that the last time we talked to, we have to surround ourselves by people who are better at the stuff that we're not as good, right? It's not It's not a weakness. It's a let me partner up with that person who's awesome at this. Yeah, because I have a lot of weaknesses, <laughs> right? I have a lot of weaknesses and there are a lot of people who are smarter than me at various things and you know stuff like that you can't do alone. You, you just can't. And if you try, you're going to fail. Right. So you need to be around people who are capable, who understand the issue or issues. Right. And they can bring something to the table. And Paige is definitely that person, along with, you know, everybody else that uh, that's a part of the social justice collective. And you talk to Amanda, and you talk to Risa, you know, earlier. So, yeah, you need these kinds of people in order to get these uh, this kind of project off the ground and to make it successful. Paige, who are you? What are you doing here? <laughs> I don't know. Who am I, really? <laughs> Huge question. Um, so I moved to Elgin when I was 18, and I just had this feeling that I wanted to be more involved in the community, and I just made that happen. I just kind of decided it one day, made it happen, um, and I've been involved ever since. I've done events, and I've volunteered a lot with other organizations, and then I actually moved to the city of Chicago to further my career um, and came back during the pandemic, and when George Floyd was murdered and I started to see, well, at first, there was a very noticeable lack of response in Elgin which was alarming given that one of our own residents, Jacynthia Clements, had been murdered by Elgin Police Department. Um, and so I immediately started, you know, hitting my, my regular channels to see what was going on, what was happening, how I could become involved. Um, and when the boards went up, I noticed that it, it, it made things a little quieter and we had these blank canvases. And I wasn't sure what to do, but I knew we could do something. And I was on Facebook and I saw a really horrible post by a very prominent local property owner talking about all hope being lost. And I knew, I knew that had to be challenged. I knew that had to be changed. He was trying to make these canvas, uh, these boards, these blank canvases, a message of despair and ending and hopelessness. And I knew we could change that, but I also knew it wasn't up to me as a white person, how to change that. So I took it to um, a diverse group representing diversity in Elgin, an activist group. And I said, you know, what, what can we do here? What would you like to do? I, I have a lot of connections and I think we can make something happen. And the next day we had cash donations, we had supply donations, and we had so many people showing up and it turned into one of the most beautiful moments I've ever seen in downtown Elgin. Agreed. I want to bounce back a little bit. You know, you bring up something about that silence after the murder of George Floyd and you're, you're making me flash back to that. You're absolutely right. You know, you could hear kind of younger budding activists starting to have conversations about what can we do? How can we do? Right. But that momentum took, took a minute. It was just shock, fear, you know, all, all of those sorts of things. Corey, did, did you feel that kind of pause in the action right, right after this happened? Yeah. You know, there, there was this like this sense of arrest, 
where people didn't know how to react, right? They were kind of looking around as, you know, as Paige kind of described, like, I'm going to see what you're going to do before I do anything, right? Instead of, of just that raw emotion of, oh my God, we just watched a man be murdered uh, everywhere. It was on every platform possible by a cop. And that's how, and it was, it was actually, it was actually like a sign of how, of, of how we had been kind of like desanitized to, to this whole thing, because we were looking at this and there was there for us, there wasn't a, for the community, it didn't seem to be a visceral reaction initially, right? It was just this, this sense of arrest. And then all of a sudden protests, another protest, another protest. And then there are these leaders that are coming forward and they're saying, yeah, you know, we're showing up at city council meetings. We want to see change here in our own fire, in our home, in our own police department. And for me, it was so welcoming because I was just, you know, basically protesting on city council about the Cynthia Clements, you know, not a year before that, uh, or the last few years, you know, before this occurred. Um, so it was, um, it was a fresh breath of air to me to see this all happening. Uh, to see people start paying attention to what's going on, um, to how we police and what we think about how police officers should treat, should treat residents. Um, and although George Floyd did, you know, wasn't living here and it wasn't our police department that did it, there was just this sense amongst uh, that we have in, in the Black community that any police officer anywhere in the country or the world for that matter may treat us this way. And we're, you know, we're kind of almost programmed to think that that's okay. And that's just the way that it's going to be. And that's really not the way that it should be. And so to see people who just don't look like us, see people who don't look like us come forward and say, we're going to stand with you in solidarity. We're not just going to be, we're not going to just be, uh, we're going to be accomplices. We're not just going to be allies in this was just a beautiful thing to, to see. So it all so to see it all happening and being brought together um, around this art, um, you know, as things pivoted, uh, was just a beautiful thing to, to be able to be a part of. Absolutely. Paige, you and I communicated early on when you were reaching out for these sorts of you know, items to, to make sure this art could happen. And we disagreed philosophically <laughs> on this, which, you know, I still think about. And as someone who grew up in Elgin and now runs a space in downtown Elgin, as these protests were getting planned, the first time, you know, we weren't leaving our house as much, but the first time I came through downtown Elgin to come to Side Street and saw all those boards it was crushing, right? It felt like that silence that you speak mm -hmm. of. It was so disappointing. It was shocking. It was just from my perspective, a, an absolute statement of lack of trust of our community, which mm -hmm. is my community that I was born and raised in. And so myself and Tanner, uh, the co-founder of Side Street, we began talking about what, why are we feeling this way? why would anyone put boards on their windows? What, you know, and trying to see all sides of this. And we rent all of our spaces, reaching out to our landlords, hoping that they wouldn't make us board up and trying to talk with other business owners about, we hope you're not boarding up. Um, 
because we trust our we trust our community. It's it just seems so simple to me, right? Of course, it's not, but it, it you know it's shocking. And so we were having those philosophical discussions, and when we were reached out to about then wanting to beautify the boards, I didn't want people to cover what was happening with beauty. I wanted people to have to look at this, feel what it felt like to put these barriers um, against our community and have to look at themselves for making those choices. Uh, and so that's where we philosophically fell down on the spectrum. And then of course, two days later, I go for a walk and it's the most beautiful scene I've ever seen, right? <laughs> that doesn't change how I felt about those boards going up and not wanting them up and, and that sort of thing, right? And so these two really different points of view are living in existence with each other, you know, in that moment. And I see them both very clearly. Um, and, you know, so I, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Paige, because we were like, well, we, we each got to do what we got to do yeah, on the <laughs> other side sort of thing. Um, what, what do you recall of all that? Well, first, I just want to say that I love that we disagreed. And it, it really brings me back to what Corey was saying earlier about who's at the table. And we need people who disagree with us at the table. If we're sitting at a table and everybody has the same opinion, we are going nowhere. And especially when we're having conversations about systemic racism and police brutality, um, and even politics in general, we need to be listening to other opinions. There are people who, like us, Erin, agree. We're on the same side on most things, but in this, we had a disagreement. And let me tell you, I did not feel great about covering the boards either. I felt massive conflict about beautifying them, like you said. And I also saw it as an opportunity. And I knew it could be turned into an opportunity and I knew it could be taken back. And it was a, a brave thing for me to step out that way. It's uncomfortable. This whole situation is uncomfortable. Um, and that's really what I remember. It's just the feeling of discomfort of what was happening in the world. The discomfort of being a white woman and not knowing how to move forward with the desire to do the least amount of harm possible, knowing that I can't step into this, this work around systemic racism and not do harm. I knew there was going to be harm caused at some point because I'm still learning. Um, and then there's the other side of it is standing downtown, watching people arrive, seeing the paint going up, having conversations with people who did differ, asking, you know, what is Black Lives Matter and why can't we say all lives matter? What is systemic racism? Tell me more about this defund the police stuff. Those were the most beautiful moments of it all. Yes, it was amazing to watch our Black community come out and take photos and participate and put their feelings and words up. And it was also beautiful to have these very, very difficult conversations and watching how the art made it a safe place to have those difficult conversations. It sounds like out of these boards, right, the, the conversations and the action and the community building were already kind of naturally happening 
um, the, the snowball effect started early, I think. Amanda told us about how the Making Space project developed and evolved from those initial boards. Um, but Corey, what has the evolution of the project been like as you picked up ideas of a community mural, a documentary to show and tell everything that we're trying to talk about, the Juneteenth collaboration and a scholarship program, right? <laughs> this is a, and that's right. not even talking about the cubes, right? This is a list people use. How have you watched this develop and, and how are these things coming together? You know what, it was, <clears throat> First of all, it was never in our plans, right? Uh, like all great things, it just naturally developed in, into all of this, right? Um, you know, from, from my point of view, right? Um, I saw these boards go up and, and I'm thinking, well, what just happened in Aurora, right? Because there was unrest in Aurora, you know, maybe coming down the river, so to speak, and might be, you know, happening here in Elgin, right? So to see those boards go up, it made sense why business owners would be uh, would would be cautious, right? Um, and then when the art went up on those boards, it was like, oh, that's great. And after that first night of protest, and there weren't there wasn't any rioting, any damage being done, it was like the art increase and there was just more of it happening more often right so it was like oh this is a thing so that's that's when it first kind of struck me that this this is beauty this is art that's capturing the history of what's of what's happening uh here in elgin and it's that and it's a reflection of the people who live here right um so from that point and you know you know making a call you know, and saying, hey, we should do something about this and, you know, hearing about Paige and, and what she had already done and what the ideas that she had been, you know, thinking about and coming together. It was just about doing something with the art, with the art that was already produced. We didn't, we never thought about scholarships and, and, uh, and um, a documentary and the cubes, like it just all evolved. And like I said, like, you know, there are some people around me that, that, that were placed around me or that I sought after, uh, Paige and I, to get involved in this project that know this stuff more than us. And that person was Amanda. Amanda was just awesome. Like, it was like we had all of these thoughts and feelings and ideas about what we could do. And she came in and like organized it all, <laughs> right? And then like added her magic onto it and was like, we should do this. And this is how we can do it. So like this evolution of things, it wasn't because Paige and Corey are so smart or just had this grand vision. <laughs> you know, well, Paige is really smart. I'm just talking for myself, right? <laughs> it wasn't that we had some, some grand vision. It was because we just wanted to do something to recognize what occurred here in Elgin and make sure that that was placed on the books, so to speak. But it was because we had connections with the rest of the community that we were able to, you know, help help this all evolve. But it wasn't just us, of course, it was Amanda, it was Tish, it was Jennifer Fukala in the Downtown Neighborhood Association. It was Aaron Neal of the city of Elgin going around and picking up all the different art pieces. Like this had so many different moving parts that, the credit belongs to to all of our partners, um, you know, it, and so so to see the evolution, it's beautiful. It's great to be involved and to see how things have developed. 
right? Um, and at the same time, to me, like the real beauty is seeing other people latch on to it and make it like their own and say, hey, we should do this and care really deeply about it. Like that's the beautiful part of it because we have a community here in Elgin that is absolutely diverse, right? Um, and so to see people who aren't black say Black Lives Matter and we're going to do this art project in, you know, in, in, in conjunction with each other is just an awesome experience to see. And it gives you hope about the future. It gives you hope about uh, humanity and what we really could be. And, and I think that that time, which was like a pressure cooker type of time, it really just showed like what the character of, uh, of the residents here are in Elgin and to a greater extent, probably, you know, in other places that are similar to Elgin. So, um, so yeah, that, it was just a beautiful thing to be a part of and to see, uh, but yeah, credit belongs to all of, all of those in the collective. Watching all of those collaborations come together, the city has been trying to kick off a Juneteenth celebration for a few years. And, you know, it's kind of been COVID minimized a little bit with some with a great flag parade last year, you know, and another smaller version coming up this year. Um, for this year and in the future, why is that Juneteenth celebration collaboration, Corey, an, a natural fit? Why did why do those make sense yeah. together? You did ask me that question initially, and I and I said <laughs> so. Thank you for nudging me on that. <laughs> um, why is it a great fit? Uh, I, I you know. For us on the calendar of events, when we first embarked on this, we we had to have a day that we would start to reveal everything. And, and here's the thing, like, it wasn't deep. <laughs> I, I really wish I had like a really deep answer as to why we chose the day we chose. But we said, you know what, we should probably finish around this time. And then it was like, oh, that's around Juneteenth. Perfect, that's a perfect time. There's synergy between Black Lives Matter, right, and Juneteenth, right? From Juneteenth, from where we started at, you know, in, in, in receiving freedoms, right, freedom, and then to Black Lives Matter protesting about freedoms we haven't received, right? So it was just like, it made sense synergy-wise, but it also made sense timeline-wise from when we expected we would be done with some portion of this art or the project in itself. So, uh, so it wasn't that super deep. It just worked out logistically, and then it made sense between the holiday and the date of completion, hopefully, uh, of the art project. Um, we all know I'm art focused, uh, but the most exciting about the part about this project to me is the documentary, right? Because of course that is art, but. It's, it's the reason I wanted to talk to you all because there's so much nuance on top of so much legacy of activism in our community over generations, um, on top of a fraught relationship with public art in our community because of the mural that came down, which we talked about earlier, um, right? There's layer upon layer upon layer um, of social justice, police reform, issues of racism, all of these things that are wrapped into this project. Paige, talk to me a little bit more about the documentary. I believe all three of us have been interviewed. Um, I was very nervous for my interview. I got emotional when the questions took some turns and it made me think about my family history within our community. Um, and I found it a, a really good opportunity to 
<laughs> maybe ramble <laughs> about, about some of those issues and questions that I had been thinking about personally on behalf of my community. Um, how are you finding the documentary process to be going and, and is it going exactly how we thought it was gonna go from day one of documentary? I don't think anything has gone exactly how we were thought it was going to go from day one, and I don't think it ever will. But again, that's one of the great things about this project is that everything has remained so fluid. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite things about the documentary so far comes from before we even started filming, it was choosing our documentarian team. We had the choice to go between somebody who has worked within the community before who is white and choosing a new team that does not work within our community with a black director and creative lead i know to me corey and a couple others it was a no-brainer if we're doing this project if we're we are talking about racism and the arts if we are talking about inclusion then we already know the answer and the answer is to bring in new people to give opportunities to those who do not have it to stop working with the people that we always work with and i'm talking about individuals but i'm also talking about institutions i think elgin has become very stagnant with bringing in new people new ideas and this was an opportunity um and, you know, a lot of people won't know this, but in our making space meetings, we do have very difficult conversations. And it is with a diverse group of people from different organizations and different backgrounds. And there is a lot of work being done just in our biweekly meetings. And, and this was an example with choosing our documentarian team. And we, we, we are so blessed and so lucky to have found this new new group. I think Corey brought them in um, and to introduce new people to our community as well. Um, I also love that the documentary is just giving us an opportunity to share so many different voices with such a wide range of people. I think that is so important because we're doing our work within the community, but this is our extension out into other communities to show people what has happened in Elgin, to show people how Elgin responded, and maybe to give new ideas of what others can do in their community around the arts and around racism. Absolutely. Corey, how was your time being interviewed for the documentary? actually have not been interviewed yet. Oh, got it. Yeah, You're next I, on I, the list. Amanda said there's probably one more day coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a part of that one more day. Uh, I had a conflict, so I was unable to be uh, interviewed. So ask me a So ask me a All right, day. got it. That next next <laughs> interview. Oh, you won't ruin the surprise. <laughs> You're going to sweat. You're going to sweat. You know, you I are going to sweat. But if I could add on to something, actually, that Paige was saying, um, you know, when it came to, like we talk about this work, we talk about equity and inclusion, right? And <clears throat> Black Lives Mattering, right? It's one thing to say that, right? Versus literally walking that walk and that talk and producing that, right? So when it did come time, you know, to pick a production company, it was a no brainer. It was like, you know, should we, do what we've been what we're fighting for or should we continue to produce more of the same 
right? So I just yesterday I read something where it said that overwhelmingly the majority of people who are in diversity, equity, and inclusion are white women, right? The majority uh, are white women, right? Now, I love a great ally. I love all that. But where's the diversity in, <laughs> in us trying to make sure that diversity is being brought forward? Like, you know, so, so it's like this was an opportunity to make sure that we actually were walking the walk. And so that was a huge part of why we brought in uh, Nicholas and his team uh, to do this documentary. And uh, I'm so glad that we did. And it's, it's like it's shaping up to be something really special. Like, I can't wait to see it. And, uh, and I'm really excited about it. Corey, as always, he's so much more eloquent than I. He's just cut out everything I said and just, just play Corey. <laughs> Corey, you and Councilwoman Tish Powell have very unique positions on the Social Justice Collective because you have a responsibility, right, to the folks who voted you into office. You have a responsibility to the city and a responsibility to this project and, and all of the things you're mentioning, the equity involved from top to bottom and that sort of thing. How is that playing out for you? Are you having to defend some of these choices? Is there a lot of support? You know, how is that role playing out for you? You know, I am, uh, I, I never imagined that I would be, you know, in this role, you know, being in city council. I never sought out to do it. I, um, I just originally just started off just, you know, just caring about the community, just wanting to get involved, wanting to learn things. And it kind of just grew from there organically. So, um, but, in running for office, right? It was, it, it's not about the city of Elgin. It is, but it isn't, right? It, it's, it, it's not about my personal, uh, my personal agenda or things that I would like to do. What I've always kept at the forefront is it's about the people, right? It, there is no city without the people. There is no accomplishing some of these diversity things without the people. Um, and so I, I, don't, I don't, I'm not torn in that in that way because everything that I do and that I involve myself in is for is for to, and to help other people, right? So I don't have that. I'm not torn and I've had that too before. People ask me, because I'm also a deacon, right? In my church, Second Baptist Church of Elgin, come and join us sometime. We have services at 1030 uh, AM, Summit Street, 1280 Summit Street. I just had to give a plug, plug to, my there. Pastor, to, to my <laughs> pastor, Patrick Parks. Shout out to my pastor, Patrick Parks. We call him Pastor PPE, you know. Um, so <laughs> people ask me like, okay, well, well, Corey, like you, you know, you're Christian and you're serving on council. And sometimes you're dealing with like, are you ever torn? And it's like, no, not really, you know, because the work in itself is about the people. It's not about my religion or someone else's religion. It's about what is that, what's best for the people and how can I best represent those who I'm, I'm here elected to serve if you voted for me or if you did it, so. What have been, I'm gonna throw this one up and whoever wants to tackle it <laughs> can. What have been any um, obstacles or, or something popping up that you didn't envision um, along the way, you know, I, I wouldn't even say, right, we're halfway through with the pro right? You're, you're so in process. Um, but what have been some frustrations that have popped up? I'll, I'll I'm going to let you take this one, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> take this one, Paige. 
Oh, uh, thanks, Corey. Thanks, thanks <laughs> so much. Support you. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not nerve wracking enough uh, coming on these podcasts and interviews <laughs> to talk about this. You know, I think one of the biggest frustration is actually just seeing um, the lack of engagement, people not showing up, not being able to get other communities, other um, organizations involved. That's been the most frustrating. And um, it's really disappointing. There's a lot of people who were loud a year ago who are not, not showing up right now. There's organizations that even have it in their mission and they are not showing up. They're not even returning emails mm. and it's not surprising, but it's still very disappointing. Right. How could, how could these people show up, right? You mentioned returning emails, but say I'm an individual who wants to be involved and I don't even know how to show up. What does that mean? How could I show up? I would say just get in contact with us. Say, hey, this is who I am. These are my skills. Can you use them? I'd like to be involved. And we'll find something for you. Facebook. um, Facebook would probably be the easiest. You can also go to the Making Space website and uh, Amanda's email address is on there. Yeah. And also on the also on the uh, Facebook page and even the website, we have these we have a listing of community conversations. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you don't if you just want to learn more about what's happening, uh, not alone, you know, help out. But if you just want to engage, which is the first step, you can literally just go to the website or to the Facebook page, you know, look up making space. Uh, and there's a listing of all the different community conversations that have occurred and will be occurring in the future, right? So we're, we're making it as easy as possible for you to get involved. Nobody is being turned back. We don't care what side of the coin that you live on when it comes to you know the, the issues that we're discussing. We just want people to be engaged. And that is hard. Uh, it has been hard. It's like pulling teeth sometimes to get people to be engaging. You wouldn't even think that after a year ago, what was occurring? Like everybody was out. People I had never seen in my entire life <laughs> were out in the streets protesting. It was like, oh, you live here. Okay, cool. And it's like now things have died down, obviously, in ways, especially when it comes to, comes to protest. And now it's like, well, you would think that these people would show up for this stuff that they spend so much time protesting protesting for, but to see them not doing it, it's like, hmm, were you just joining in in the fun of it all, or were you really serious about this work? But but don't get me wrong, there are a lot of people who have kept that going, too. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to focus on the negative of it, right. because there have been a lot of people who have participated, continue to participate, and have continued to stay around and involved, you know, after uh, after the, the protest. But there are so many more people who have not. One of the things Risa mentioned yesterday that I want to reiterate because it it just really felt helpful to to me in trying to understand as as part of these conversations, and you you can even participate with the conversations online and through surveys and stuff like that, that you can self-identify where you kind of are in this activism spectrum, right? And I know it can be really scary and nerve wracking to be like, okay, I'm going to step out and I'm going to say what I believe and I'm going to help out. Um, But 
maybe you don't want to step out to do that. Maybe you need to start with a, a more intimate conversation. Maybe it is about you know, helping behind the scenes and, and growing to understand how you and the individual you are can be an activist. And that was something I found really inspiring about the project you all are creating is that um, you don't have to stand on a box at, with a microphone, <laughs> right? And um, be in front of a crowd to engage in the work. There, there are a lot of ways that it can be done and things that can be done. Absolutely, we have page for that. <laughs> Thanks, Corey. <laughs> so, Paige, you've mentioned a couple already, but last question: What have been some of your favorite, best bits so far? You know, you mentioned seeing the art going up. You mentioned picking the documentary team. Um, what keeps you going? You know, with this project, what have you? What beautiful moments have you seen? Well, what keeps me going is conversations like these. You know, every time we we show up for a meeting or I get I have the opportunity to talk about the project um, to hear what it means to Corey, to you, Aaron, to other people in the community who I've known for so long and who are also so active. Those are the really beautiful moments to me because we're making an emotional impact. And it's one thing to, you know, talk about the negative and make an impact or say this is what we need to change and make an impact to make a positive emotional impact in somebody's life doing activism work is huge. And I think those are the most beautiful moments. Uh, and that could be with us, that could be with people on the street, it could be hearing about people talking about us on Facebook, but to hear that people are engaged, that they're excited, that is the most beautiful part. Corey, what about you? Yeah, I think it's the like, it's the drive for me to like craft a better world, right? Not, you know, not just Black Lives Matter, but we talk about like all of the right, all of our rights, right? To make sure that the LGBTQ plus community has their rights, right? To make sure that we do talk about uh, immigration, to make sure that we do talk about, of course, Black Lives Matter. But it's it's just like it's so much more, so much more bigger than what we're working on. Um, so what keeps me going is like that fight for equality and making sure that people feel comfortable in their own skin, that they have safe spaces to have these hard, difficult conversations, right? And that we push out the hate, um, that we push out the negativity, right? And we show up in these spaces smiling, being our best selves and not afraid to let our light shine, right? So that's the world that like I'm, pushing in my little way to like craft here in Elgin. Um, and so it's just a great thing to have other people alongside of me or me alongside of them as we do this difficult work that is emotionally draining at times, like deeply emotionally draining at some, sometimes. And we have these tough conversations as, as Paige was talking about in our meetings and, and, you know, and still you find yourself kind of like biting your tongue because you, <laughs> you want to make sure that everyone feels comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, being themselves and saying what they think, right? So there's still a, a certain degree of that, right? But it's, it still has shaped up into a space where you almost can say anything, almost. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so, and so, you know, I, I, you know, so the fight is to have more of those types 
of spaces, but just in general, just like crafting a, a world or a community that is best suited for the people who call Elgin home, for the people who visit Elgin. You know, we, we just want a better community. And I think that we know how we can get there in the regards of how we are working on this project together. And it's just a matter of us just continuing to go, continuing to push, continuing to be inclusive and invite people in as much as we possibly can in hopes that people will join us on the journey. And, and that has happened to a large degree. And that's what brought us here, has gotten us uh, this far today. Well, chills, well, <laughs> welling up and uh, I think that's a great place to stop. Thank you for joining me today. But more importantly, thank you for your voices for the last year, your bravery, right? The whole crew that you've been working with. Um, I know that many of us can't even imagine some of those conversations that you're having to have. And um, I thank you for taking them on. I feel like I'll have to check back in in six, month, six months to see what new facet you've added and when that documentary is coming out and <laughs> <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, but thank you for your time and, and your uh, work today, y'all. Thank, thank you, Erin. Thank you for having us. That has been Connected from Side Street Studio Arts. Thank you all for joining us and check us out next week. Connected is a Side Street Studio Arts production. Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected, and all the great things Side Street Studio Arts offers. Please visit sidestreetstudioarts.org.